1: Hello everyone, it's Ron Remkes here with CFA Institute and today we're joined by Amy Myers Jaffe from University of California, Davis. Amy, uh, thanks for being here.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Okay, well we just listened to your uh, presentation at the annual conference and uh, the big story of course in the energy markets is the price of oil. And I thought it might be nice for our audience to start out with a, a brief discussion of where you see the uh, secular trends and where you see this is cyclical. If you could kind of you know help parse that out for us.
0: Well, I think one of the challenges for people watching the oil market today is it's probably both. Right, we're definitely having a cyclical downtrend. It looks very much like downtrends we saw in 1998, even going back to 1986. Right, where we have geopolitical factors that's causing actors to push oil in the market. We're having you know long-term recessionary pressures that are uh curbing demand for oil in the short term and we're having a boost in production through a technology play in this case the u.s shale play in past six cycles uh deep water or the north sea and 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 so those things are coming together in a way that looks very familiar to cycles in the past the thing that's really different this time is that we're also seeing structural changes through technology and through uh regulation so On the technology side, not only are advances in what we call the industrial internet um, making it more um, easy to eliminate demand for energy, so through energy efficiency in buildings, through the use of advanced technologies in automobiles, through logistics planning, whether that's in the airline industry, eliminating the need for jet fuel to big data programs that uh, allow jets to operate more efficiently or whether it's through ride shearing makes it easier to get around without having a car
1: but technology is not just affecting the uh, demand side it's also affecting the supply side right uh,
0: there's no question so the other th- the other flip side of the technology productivity is that it's becoming much less expensive to recover oil and gas from what we call source rock so that's tiny particles of oil and gas that at this time are embedded in shale uh, formations. So we're seeing a big boom in that in the United States. The costs to do that have dropped dramatically. So for oil, we're seeing some top producers able to produce oil and gas from shale in the United States at $30 or $35 a barrel break even. But in natural gas, even more dramatic. We're seeing natural gas recovered in Pennsylvania and parts of Ohio for under a dollar. And so So really, you're having these two things happen at the same time, and it's long-term structural. So the growth in demand that we anticipated to be there to hold the price of oil and gas up is looking like it's going to be moderated. And, And on the other side, the costs of having extra supply look like it's going to be much lower than expected. And those things are compressing. The long-term outlook, long-term price outlook for oil and gas.
1: So if you go back in time a little bit and, and think back about you know the 2004-2005 time frame, you had the emergence of China as a very powerful theme for uh, infinite growth in demand. You had peak oil and this notion that there was an ongoing rising marginal cost of production. How have those things um, uh, changed uh, today and what's kind of your view on how those things might play out going forward?
0: Well, It's my view that the three factors that were really driving the higher price of oil, so that's belief in peak oil, that reserve supply was going to be scarce, um, belief in um, the rising cost story, that it's going to be more and more expensive to explore for new oil, and the exponential growth in China and India stories, that's what was driving the exuberance um, in all commodities, but especially in oil. today we can really see that none of those three stories are really going to be correct in the long term. We have a lot of supply of reserves. We have new technologies that are going to mean that it's going to be less expensive probably over time to recover oil and gas. The flip side is that we can see the outline of technologies that are going to eliminate demand, and we can also see this year, in 2016, that it's very unclear what the long-term economic path is going to be in China. And even if China's economy gets back on the right footing, you know, the the government there has made a huge commitment to clean energy and to advanced technology. So so I think that the three things that really drove the rally from 2003 to 2011-12, those factors are really gone by the wayside now, I think, pretty permanently.
1: Is there anyone else out there that could potentially fill that void that uh, China might be making in that future demand curve? India comes online, they start growing, uh, you know, other emerging markets. Do you feel like that could uh, follow through or is the super cycle dead?
0: Well, when people look at the super cycle, those people who believe that the super cycle will come back are really betting on ASEAN. So, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, you know, with that whole region, uh, still produce a high, highly motivated, highly uh, wealth-embedded uh, middle class that would drive back the super cycle. Um, personally, I think that the, there are evidences there that there could be a lot of economic growth in that part of the world, but I question whether or not those countries are really going to be able to replace the sort of Chinese model in the way that we saw it over the last 10 years.
1: You know, one of the things that uh, you mentioned today that uh, really surprised me, you talked about how uh, some of these new technologies have had such dramatic efficiency gains that they are becoming much more competitive with your traditional fossil fuels like natural gas and, and oil. Can you comment on, on any of that for Well, you know,
0: I think what you're going to see, the next sort of exploding space, I think, in energy is going to be solar combined with some kind of storage technology. You've got some very big, strong players working in that space, You've got a few uh, projects that have come online in in different locations. So I think that that space has a lot of momentum, and um, it's just starting now. Um, But the costs for solar, especially at the utility scale, have really fallen. And I think that people don't understand how competitive it is with even natural gas, which is in itself unbelievably competitive. And I do think that that's why we're seeing – Companies like Peabody Energy and, and, and Arch really are having trouble finding their way in the market and, 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 and getting access to capital anymore because these competing fuel sources are just so promising.
1: With, with you know, uh, efficiency gains on the uh, demand side and efficiency gains on the supply side, especially from competing technologies, What's the risk to the traditional oil producers of having stranded assets? And what does that profile look like, and and how is it possibly changing?
0: Well, I think really, as an investor, what I want to be seeing is I want to see that the management of the traditional companies is understanding that risk, they're assessing that risk, and they're adjusting their strategy to reflect their view of that risk. you know, you get these shareholder resolutions that have asked some of these companies, even the mining companies, but also the fossil fuel companies, to really consider these different scenarios. And, and you see some players doing that. Stadl has done a thorough um, um, evaluation. You've got uh, ConocoPhillips announced it was doing scenario case studies, and they have a high-technology scenario. So you do see some management's um, taking it on board and thinking about how it's going to affect their business and then making some different strategies. There are one or two fossil fuel companies that have already making a, a, a big push into renewable energy. Total owns SunPower, for example, which is one of the bigger uh, uh, sol- utility-scale solar companies. So I do think over time um, there are going to be some adjustments made. Um, but I think the jury's still out. I mean, I think demand, the long-term trend for demand for, for fossil fuels is a little uncertain right now, and therefore, investors have to think carefully about uh, what reserves they would want to invest in, uh, if, if what management do they feel are connected with those reserves, and, and, and what's the path forward. You
1: know, earlier you touched on uh, power storage, and it's a space that I've followed for some time. And it's always seemed like that, that new innovation has always been five years off. It's almost like this holy grail that we just never quite get there, at least in terms of production capability. Have you seen something different? Is there a change that's gone on that would make that much more viable today versus what we've seen in the past?
0: Well, I, honestly, you know, there is that little bit of a story where the technology is always just a little bit far away from being fully commercial. Right. But I do think you're getting um, some big players making commitment, China, for example, you know, making a very big commitment to advanced vehicles and, and, and there's a learning curve. So I think that over time, you know I've seen some projections where people think there could be a, a fairly substantial drop in the cost for batteries, for example, you know 20, 30 percent um, over time, and that could make a material difference. Um, but we also have what I would Call just consumer preference, right? You're going to have some momentum from consumer preference. You're going to have some momentum that's going to come from regulation and policy. And and also, honestly, severe weather um, also affects the space. So it's all well and good to say, you know, centralized electricity is the way to go. It's got economy of scales, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, then when it's in my town and I'm without service for a month because there was a severe storm or a wildfire, you know, then I start getting interested. Anybody would start getting interested in having distributed systems. So I do think that even the electricity space is very in transition, right? I I think it's less clear what the path's going to be for vehicles, Um, But, you know, maybe the path for vehicles might be more incorporation of batteries, but there's also this possibility that ride-sharing is going to change how people view mobility, and owning a car and parking it in your garage might no longer be the same paradigm in 20 years that it is today.
1: Well, you know, it's remarkable that we're having this conversation. The contrast between what was and what is today um, is, is really stark. Um, anyway, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for joining us as well online. Um, be sure to check out all of our content on cfainstitute.org or Enterprising Investor. Thank you.